0: Christ is risen indeed. It would not be Easter Sunday without turning our attention to one of the gospel stories that tells us about the resurrection of Christ. We have choices, of course. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us some version of the story. And then other places in the New Testament, we find plenty of reference back to The reason we come here today, to remember that Christ is risen indeed. For this year, we'll be taking a look at the story the way Luke tells it. And so I invite you to follow along as I read for us some of the verses that we find at the beginning of the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb bringing the fragrant fragrant spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They didn't know what to make of this. Suddenly, two men were standing beside them in gleaming, bright clothing. The women were frightened and bowed their faces toward the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He isn't here, but has been raised. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the human one must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. When they returned from the tomb, they they reported all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Their words struck the apostles as nonsense, and they didn't believe the women. But Peter ran to the tomb. When he bent over to look inside, he saw only the linen cloth. Then he returned home, wondering what had happened. This is the word of God for the people of God. And God's people say, thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit and breathe life into the words that I speak. So they might carry a word from you into our hearts and lives today. Amen. In 2006, the online publication Smith Magazine issued an invitation for people to tell their life story in six words. Now this idea was prompted by an old challenge that had been given years earlier to Ernest Hemingway. Uh, he had been uh, it had been suggested to him that he attempt to write a short story in just six words. And Hemingway accepted that challenge. Perhaps some of you are familiar with this story, and the story that he wrote was this: For sale: baby shoes, Never worn. You can say a lot in six words. Well, in response to this invitation from Smith Magazine, thousands and thousands of uh, responses poured in, and a number of famous people were invited to contribute their responses as well. Here's just a snippet of some of what came back from more recognizable people. Eddie Matz, a freelance writer and former ESPN broadcaster, tells his story this way. Met wife at her bachelorette party. (laughs) Wouldn't you like to know the rest of that story? Another one is from uh, Molly Ringwald, who says, acting is not all I am. And then there's this one from Stephen Colbert. Well, I thought it was funny. <laughs> six words to tell a story. Here's another one Jesus is risen from the dead. Episcopal priest Catherine Kaimano says that it is those six words that are the essence of the story we tell as people of Christian faith. In fact, Kaimano goes on to say that apart from that affirmation, the gospel story cannot be told and makes no sense. Because as we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and or John, and we hear the stories about Jesus, and we hear the sayings from Jesus himself, It has to conclude with Jesus is risen from the dead. C.S. Lewis famously put that idea this way. He said either Jesus really is Lord of all by virtue of having been risen from the dead or Jesus was a lunatic or a liar. Those are the options that we have. He he either really is Lord or a lunatic or a liar. I imagine that in the hours that turned into days after his body was taken down from the cross, there were many, if not all, who thought that the truth was one of those latter two options. He was a lunatic or a liar. But there were some women who had been a part of his journey, who had stayed with him throughout his journey of ministry, who had stayed there at the foot of the cross when he suffered and died, and who, regardless of what the circumstances were at this moment, still loved Jesus dearly. And so on that first early morning, Easter morning, they went to the tomb prepared to tend to his dead body. They had brought the ointments that they had so carefully selected to be able to do this task for him. But when they got there, Nothing could have prepared them for what they saw. The huge boulder that had blocked the entrance, that was meant to keep the entrance safe from intruders, had been pushed aside. And whatever soldier or soldiers had been there to protect the tomb, to keep body snatchers from coming and taking it away, had disappeared based on whatever had happened during the night. And so when the women showed up, What they found instead were two men waiting to greet them. And the first words the men said were, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Words that must have taken them aback because, after all, they were there precisely to encounter the dead, not the living. They were there to take care of the dead. Was this some kind of cruel joke that these two men We're playing on them. But then the men continued. Remember, they said. Remember what he told you. And I imagine that in that next moment, all kinds of memories start to flood their minds. You know how memories work. I mean, in an instant, dozens can come to you. And they are remembering not only those times when he spoke about the suffering and the death that he would encounter and the fact that he would rise again, but they also are remembering the way in which he loved them and the way in which he manifested God's love in everything that he said and in everything that he did. And now the men were telling them, to remember the best news of all, that things were just as he had said they would have been. And in the remembering, hope comes back to life. Love really does win. As we profess along with the Apostle Paul, for there is nothing in life or in death Nothing that can possibly separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. This is the truth that we celebrate on this day, that love really does win. And so the women run back to meet the others. The 11, but not only the 11, also all of the others who were a part of Jesus' following, Luke tells us. And the response they get is less than enthusiastic, nonsense, hogwash, ridiculous, can't possibly be, except for one. But Peter, Luke tells us. When Peter hears what the women have to say, something begins to bubble up in him as well. And he starts to remember also. And now we have the second instance of hope coming alive on that first Easter morning that causes Peter to find the courage to separate from the crowd that says nonsense and go running back to the tomb himself. He listens to the women. Now, guys, there's a lesson here for us. That a lot of times when we think it's a good idea to just hang out with the guys, it would be much better to listen to the voice of a wise woman in our lives. Peter listens to the women and he goes running back and sees for himself that the grave is empty and he too remembers what Jesus had told and surely he also remembers He remembers his denial from just two nights earlier. He remembers all the times that he stuck his foot in his mouth when he was trying to do the best he could to follow Jesus. And in this moment, he realizes that Jesus is alive and that means that Jesus is not done with him yet. This morning we sang... Love's redeeming work is done. And on the one hand, this is the gospel truth as it relates to the work of Jesus himself. His work is complete, fulfilled, accomplished, finished. I imagine this morning Ukrainians gathering wherever they can And we know that they are gathering on this Easter moment because we have seen their resiliency and their courageous spirit in these recent weeks. And I imagine them this morning gathering together and proclaiming that orthodox creed of faith that is shouted on this day. Christ has risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Nothing Could hold him in the ground. Love's redeeming work is done. Jesus' work is complete. If you have never known this truth, know it today that God's love is more powerful than anything, it can overcome any pain. And it can redeem you from whatever may have separated you. Know this. And also know that because love's redeeming work is done in Christ, now love's redeeming work is ongoing in our own lives. Because as followers, as disciples, we carry the story and the good news forward. Jesus says at the end of his time with them, after he has risen, you will be my witnesses. We have a saying around here. It's part of our vision statement as a church, that we are called to be a courageous witness for Christ. You know, a lot of times, courage as a witness just looks like showing up and participating in the redeeming work of God's love in the world today. We see this in the witness of the women, who once they have known it for themselves, go back to share it with others. We see it in Peter, who finds his voice after he has encountered that risen Christ himself, a voice that will launch the first public sermon of the early church to thousands and will continue to press on faithfully. We see it in the lives of Paul and Barnabas who are willing to be imprisoned and spit on and beaten and flogged for the sake of sharing the good news with everyone they can. We see it in the life of John Wesley who realized that it wasn't enough to care for just the spiritual needs of the people he was trying to reach but that the church was meant to care for the full person. And so our founder of Methodism established the new room in Bristol, England, a place where folks could come and not only hear the gospel, but could receive medical care and education and other needs could be met. We see it in the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was willing to rise tall and stand up and say no to the regime of Adolf Hitler, and even to the public voice of the church in Germany at the time and say, no, this is not okay. We see it in the life of Mother Teresa, who dedicated her life to spending it with those who were left on the margins, who were cast aside by much of the world. And we see it in the life of Desmond Tutu, who committed himself to the hard work of seeking to bring together people who had been divided through truth-telling and reconciliation. And in case you hear all of those examples and think, yeah, but those are larger than life. Those are people who are extraordinary. Let me share a few others of folks who are just seeking to participate in God's redeeming love in their everyday, ordinary lives. This past week, I had the opportunity to talk with my friend, Mike Zadoro. Mike is a fellow pastor in the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church. And Mike spent several years of his ministry in Russia and Ukraine. He's back in Florida now, but he has deep connections there, as Ben shared earlier. And just two weeks ago, Mike went to Mexico, putting himself at risk in order to help Ukrainian refugees, including his wife's parents, who have gathered there at the border in Tijuana to cross from Mexico into the United States to find safety. But in the meantime, while they're in Mexico, they are many of them experiencing harassment from the Mexican cartel as if they needed to endure more suffering from what they already have endured. One of the people Mike told me about in Ukraine right now is his friend, the Reverend Igor Park, who is a pastor in Kharkiv, one of those cities that you have seen in the news. Here is a picture from Kharkiv. Pastor Igor has refused to leave his home city throughout this entire time of terror. And he is there day after day delivering food, checking in on persons who have huddled down wherever they could to try to remain safe. And now that the postal service is finally working to some extent again, he is able to get medical supplies and other things to those persons in Kharkiv. And then There are all of those persons who have fled from eastern Ukraine and moved to the western part of Ukraine and some of them even beyond the border into Poland and Romania and Hungary and other countries. And on their journey, it's small United Methodist churches along the western border of Ukraine who are joining in providing food and shelter for families in need that mission offering that Ben talked about earlier this morning, all of those gifts will go toward helping these folks who are on the ground trying to share the redeeming love of God with persons in need. And then there are other stories. There are stories like the one of my friend Seth, and his wife, Robin. Uh, Seth and I have known each other since we were about this tall. Uh, And Seth and his wife live in Spartanburg, South Carolina. He's been in ministry his entire life. But just this past Friday, they and their adult children had an encounter with a young couple in the parking lot of a fast food restaurant who were desperate. And as they began to talk, they realized that the young man and Seth's son had actually gone to high school together. They carried on a conversation. And by the end of that, evening, they had walked into that fast food restaurant and Seth had helped the young woman fill out an application for work and she has an interview tomorrow. Say a prayer for her. And they had helped the two of them and their young child find a safe place of refuge in the meantime while they try to get themselves back together. And then there are encounters that happen like the one that occurred between my daughter Shelby and a woman that she met named Joyce. They met because Shelby was driving to the airport one day and saw Joyce standing on the side of the road with two suitcases looking for a ride. And Shelby overcame whatever fears or uncertainty she might have had, certainly more courageous than I would have been, In fact, when I first heard the story, I almost wanted to reprimand her for it because she picked Joyce up, and she gave her a ride, and they learned a little bit of each other's stories along the way until about an hour later, they had reached Joyce's destination, which was on Shelby's way to the airport. What do all these stories have in common? They are all stories of people who have experienced the redeeming love of God and then have felt compelled to share it with others. It's about showing up. It's about making ourselves available to the work that God calls us to. Jesus is risen from the dead. So here's my question. What is your six-word story in response to that good news and to the invitation that is yours as you leave this place today? Here's mine. I've had a little more time to think about mine, so no rush on your part. Mine is my life is in your hands. That's a phrase that is part of a song that I wrote when, at the age of 30, I finally quit trying to fight with God about my call into ordained ministry. And while I certainly haven't done it perfectly for these nearly 30 years since, that phrase still guides my story in response to God's story. What's your six-word story in response to God's story of good news for you? There's a place that I love to go whenever I need to refresh, recharge, renew. Some of you have heard Catherine or I talk about it before. It's a place called Greenbowl. It's out in the middle of nowhere in South Georgia. And this sight which you see whenever you enter their chapel, is one reason it is such a special place for me. That cross, every time I sit in silence and look at it, is mesmerizing. But I want you to notice in front of the cross, on that simple altar table, there is an image of Jesus. It's a very particular image image that is part of the Eastern tradition of the church that is known as Christ Pantocrator, a word that means ruler of all. Jesus has risen from the dead and therefore is ruler of all. And there are two things that you will always find in an image of Christ Pantocrator. The first is that he will always be holding the scriptures in his left arm. That is a source where we can always go to remember the story of his promises to us. And then his right hand is always gesturing toward us. And it is as if in that gesture, he is inviting us both to come and to go to come and to feel embraced by that redeeming love of God that is for each one of us. And then to go, to go out into the world and to share it. May that be our way in the world as we leave here today. Amen.